that uh, have expressed an interest in preaching and maybe pastoring some point at their, in their life. But uh, that's all something God will work out in his time. Nevertheless, they're interested in preaching, and uh, I've had the, the honor to work with them. Uh, they all spoke this summer at Beach Night and uh, had the joy of hearing them then. And now we're going to have the first one uh, take the pulpit and share with us something from God's word that I know will be an encouragement, something God's put on his heart. And I can uh, just attest that uh, Scott Eichler is one fine man. I, uh, I've had the, the, the privilege of sitting down and working with him and before the message this summer and then also in this end. I like the fact that he's teachable. That he's just got a heart to just take it in and, and to give out what God would want him to do. He he's really wants to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether he works in a secular job or someday might end up in the ministry. In whatever capacity, this man has a heart for God, and I'm impressed. The only thing I was wondering is why your dad didn't pray for you. <laughs> when Glenn was up here, he probably thought, well, I want to pray for my son, you know. But... Uh, Obviously, there's been some great training in that home and to produce a son, two sons that are just to love the Lord Jesus Christ. So would you join me as I pray for Scott before he comes. Our Father, we thank you this morning. And we pray that you would help Scott to feel a real comfort, uh, that the Spirit of God may give him great freedom as he shares your word and may it speak to our needs and help us as a church family to be more the people you want us to be. And we ask it. For the glory of Jesus, in his name we ask. Amen. Scott. Well, good morning, everyone. This is a great privilege to be in front of people that I love and know. Um, Let's get something out of the way, my hand. Now, when I came up last week and gave thanks for my wife, everybody thought I was going to come up and tell a story about my hand. I have broke my hand playing basketball. Well, after I broke my hand playing basketball, of course, the grapevine starts up. Everybody finds out, and Arch finds out. And Arch asks, well, Scott, are you going to be able to preach in a couple Sundays? And I thought to myself, yeah, he's got a point. It's going to put a dent in my hand puppet show. <laughs> Today, I have the opportunity to speak in front of a church that has blessed me tremendously. Our church is in a very unique position. We've got a bit of a gap when it comes to generations. We've got a lot of younger generation. We've got a lot of older generation. But we're kind of missing those in-between people, the people that kind of bridge a gap, people about in their 40s. Now, I know we have a couple people in their 40s, and I don't mean to exclude you. But as a whole, that's the one spot where we don't have a lot of people in our church. Now, some people may say this is a problem because now we don't have a go-between between the younger generation and the older generation. But I disagree. I think this is a unique gift that we have and a unique opportunity. Our church has a unique set of gifts. First, we are very grounded in the word. We are willing to serve God. We have wise elders. And we have a youth that is not only willing to serve, but is excited to serve. We look for opportunities to serve. Now, I'm also in a unique position to give this particular sermon. I was raised by a great man and great woman, my mom and dad. And they taught me through the years how to refer to other people, what the proper protocol was for greeting someone who's older than myself, someone who's my age, someone who's younger than me. 
It's really due to them that I have the respect for my elders. One, because I have someone to look to, to respect. Someone that I have to emulate. But I have a way of, a starting point to respect my elders. They've also taught me, biblically, what is the proper way to respect my elders. I also have some siblings. Now, some of you may say, siblings? I thought you only had one brother. Well, it's true. I only have one brother by blood. And Jeff, my brother, has been an an excellent example of what a sibling should be. A wonderful peer, someone who I can really respect, someone that I can talk to in times of need, someone that offers great advice, and he is about my age. I have another brother, though, an adopted brother, as it were. About, I'd say about seven years ago, my mother was praying constantly and constantly and constantly, and I found out this young man's mother was praying constantly also with great fervor, that, that we would meet someone that we could identify with, that could be a, a close friend. John Varela is a cl- close friend of mine. And although he's not a blood brother, he's given me someone that I can refer to as a brother, quite literally, that doesn't relate, isn't related to me in any way, shape, or form, but it's given me great knowledge to realize, hey, it's possible to love someone as a brother without them actually being your brother. So today's message is entitled, I Love You, Pop. Now, Many of you are asking, well, what the heck does that mean? I love you, Pop. Well, that is the way in which my family says goodbye. We always say, well, not just love you, Pop, but love you, Ma, love you, Bro, love you, Bra, love you, Hefe, love you, Sweetie, love you, Hun. And the monikers go on and on and on and on. But the point is, this is the way in which we say goodbye to each other. Well, why is that for well important to you? I don't say love you, Pop, or love you, Ma, to everybody. I only say to people that I have a distinct relationship with, a special relationship. I don't say it to people that I've met for the first time. You know, I meet somebody named Bill for the first time. I don't say, love you, Bill. Take care. I say, it was nice to meet you, sir. I hope you have a good day. So with that term, love you, Pa, comes a special relationship, something that's been built over time. And there's a lot of unstated honor in that specific saying. Well, before I get to the message, let's go to the, word, the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the grace you've shown to me by allowing me to be one of your sons. I pray, Lord, now that you would use me as a conduit for your words, not my own, but your words, the Father. I pray that this message would be one that glorifies you, Lord, and also glorifies this body that you've assembled here before me, Father. I thank you for your many blessings again. In Jesus' name, amen. So today's verse, 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger as sisters with all purity. Now the author. The author of 1 Timothy is Paul, of course. Most of us know this is a set of pastoral prayers There is 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. 1 Timothy and Titus are written about the same time. Paul is writing to Timothy, who is the pastor at Ephesus. Now, you have to understand that Paul has just been released from prison. And I think it's safe to assume that Paul is realizing that he's not going to be able to do this forever. At some point, an end is going to come to his ministry. So he's now realizing he has a responsibility to train not just people and Christians, but to train apprentices, someone who's going to take over for him in the later years. Arch has been kind enough to start teaching me and another, a number of other young men 
this same thing, how to preach. This isn't as simple thing as I once thought it was. I have a special advantage in that I was a communications major and went to school for this. But still, after being given a book by Arch and being given guidance by Arch, I realize that I don't really know how to give a message. Well, I think Paul is at about in the same position right now. Paul's looking at Tim and saying, okay, Timothy, you're doing a good job, but here's some tips for you. Well, in this particular, in this particular position, Timothy will be in a spiritual, spiritually superior position over older men. This is a difficult position to be in. To be in a position over older men is difficult enough, but to be in a spiritually superior position is even more difficult because now he has to teach these older men how to behave spiritually. Well, to the older men, I'm sure you can, and older ladies, I'm sure you can say to yourself, a person my age comes up to me and says, hey, you're not doing the right thing. What are you thinking? You're not going to take that so well. Just as I'm not going to take it well if an older person comes to me and says, come on, you stupid kid, get with it. Well, Tim is in another unique position. He is coming from a household of Christians. Now, realize how rare this is. Christianity is only about 30 years old or so. And he's coming from a household of Christians. His mother and grandmother are both Christians. His father is not. But someone has come in to fill that position. Paul often refers to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.1, 2 Timothy 1.1, Philippians 2.20 and 22. He refers to Timothy as technon. Now, technon literally translated in the Greek means offspring or child. Now, it's the same way that my father would refer to me as a child. Now, I may not be a child. Well... I'm a little mature sometimes, but I'm not a child. I'm his child. So Paul is referring to Timothy in much the same way. He's referring to some, him as someone he's grown close to, who's he's raised in the faith. So Timothy has Paul as his basically spiritual father. So he has his mother. He has his grandmother. I'm not sure if he has brothers or sisters, but let's assume he does. So now I can see why Paul is using this specific example for Timothy. Timothy is greatly aware of all the nuances that come with family relationships. All the little tiny bits and pieces that you can't put together until you're in the situation. But Timothy has been in the situation. He's grown up in the situation. So he's keenly aware of how he should be treating elders, brothers, sisters, and the such. Well, let's look at the historical context of where Timothy is coming from. Timothy is preaching in the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus would be a lot like our Las Vegas. It's not that great of a place. It's, it's not a place you want to raise your kids. A matter of fact, Ephesus is known for its uh, unsavory character. So much so that someone named Shakespeare, who I'm sure everyone has heard of, refers to Ephesus in the Comedy of Errors as a town full of dark-working sorcerers that change the mind, soul-killing witches that deform the body, and many such-like libertines of sin. Okay, so we don't want to raise our kids there. That said, that doesn't mean all of Ephesus is a bad place. It just means that there's opportunities to be immoral, as it were, more so than other cities. Now, the other historic, part of the historical context is the fact that these people are living in a Hellenistic society. They have Greek traditions. They have the Greek gods. They're living in Roman culture. So part of the whole Roman culture is Plato. And in Plato's Republic, he writes, he will regard everyone he meets as either brother or sister, father or mother, son or daughter. Now, Paul and Timothy, of course, are, are living in this time, and they realize that this is all part of the culture that they're living in. So Timothy and Paul 
there's an unspoken truth there that they understand that's culturally aware to them. Now, of course, we have much the same culture. We have a culture when we respect our elders well. Most of us should respect our elders, not to say that everyone does. But most people in our culture recognize that elders are to be respected and the youth are where they are in life. But Paul and Timothy have a special nuance there. They understand that this goes past the idea of a popular ethics version of brother, sister, father, mother. They realize there's a spiritual side to this that the heathens don't quite get. They realize that there's something extra that they have in the Christian life. Let's look at the grammatical context of this verse also. This is a letter being written from master teacher to apprentice. So let's just understand that Paul uses some harsh language here that he's writing to someone he specifically knows, someone he sees as a child. My father and I can talk about things in a certain way that we can talk just between ourselves, and it's okay. I would never talk to my father perhaps that way in public, and he would probably not talk to me that way in public. But just between him and I... It's more acceptable. Paul is encouraging Tim to be an example in these verses. 1 Timothy 4.12. In 1 Timothy 4.12 it says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Tim is to be an example for all the believers. Not just the head honchos, the people over the church, but for all the people there. And within the word example, we all understand that if you're to meet an example, people should be emulating what you do. So Timothy is in the role where he has to be an example for his elders and people of his age, which suggests he must act in a certain way. Now, we can infer a little bit of text into Timothy 5, 1 and 2, and this will be clear as as day when you guys see it. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Exhort younger men as brothers. Exhort older women as mothers and exhort younger women as sisters with all purity. Now, in this situation, fathers and mothers and sisters are all translated from literal Greek words. Only brothers can really be shown in a different way, but considering that it's surrounded by other literal translations, it's safe to assume that the Greek is referring to actual family members, not people that are like, you know, okay, they're older than you, great, they're a mother. Okay, fine. No, it's not something that's, you know, they're not related in a sideways way. They're related literally. <clears throat> so the first portion, after we've, now that we've seen the context of where Tim's coming from, he's coming from a Hellenistic society. We can see the verses here that Paul is speaking to Tim as a son. We're going to look at what the main portion of my message. And this is the big word that makes me look smart. I can trick you people. Relational modalities and protocol. Oh, guy. It's the 10 cent words, right? It's the ones that you're thinking to yourself, okay, what the heck does Scott mean here? Well, this is pretty simple, actually. All this means is, how do you treat others? And when in the word others, we see that there are different variations of how people treat each other. So there's three main modalities. Youth to elders, elders to youth, and peer to peer. First, the younger generation to the older generation. The youth to the elders. Paul starts off, do not rebuke. The Greek word for rebuke here is epiplaso. Epiplaso. And epiplaso translated means to strike upon, beat on, to chastise with words, to chide. This is kind of a rough form of correction, isn't it? Don't you love it when someone comes up and just rubs you the wrong way and keeps going into you? I hate that. And Paul is saying here, you can't do that, Timothy. You won't get people to see your point of view. 
As a matter of fact, you're going to push people to the other side of the spectrum. They're going to fight against you because they don't like what you're saying to them. Paul realizes that especially in this society, the Hellenistic one, where there's this idea of father, mother, brother, sister, this form of communication isn't going to work because the society won't accept this communication. Much like our society, none of us like to be rebuked. So Paul says, instead of rebuking, why don't you exhort? Now the Greek word for exhort there is parakaleo. And parakaleo basically means to come alongside, to strengthen, to encourage. So that's what you're supposed to do, Timothy. Don't rebuke them. Don't be rough on them. Be a loving son. Be a loving brother. Come alongside them. Exhort them. Strengthen them. Build them up. And let them know what they need to do to, to correct themselves. And that's the point. Paul says to Timothy, listen, you are going to have to correct people. Now, what way are you going to do it? So he gives him the tools to properly correct his elders. And he says to him, don't be afraid to correct your elders. There's nothing wrong with it, per se. Just be respectful in the words you use and the manner in which you do it. Now, a number of years ago, an older gentleman, an older gentleman at church and I had a mutual friend. And this mutual friend, we were constantly on, come on, you've got to come to church. We'd love to have you at church. Please come to church. Come to church. Come to church. Come to church. Now, of course, we didn't ride him and go at him hard, but we came to him in love and said these things. We said, we really want you there. So finally, finally, the day comes. He comes to church with his whole family. He's got kids. He's got a wife. And he comes with everybody. And he comes in shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. You know, it's a little bit casual, but he looks nice. He looks presentable. So I go up to my friend and say, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. We're glad you came. You know, it's what a blessing it is. And we talk and we have our time together. And I go off to say hi to other people, of course. And while I'm gone... The older friend of mine who goes to church here also comes to this young man and says, how you doing? It's good to see you. And then he teases him about the particular clothes he's wearing. Now, unfortunately, this man hasn't come back to church since, which is disappointing. Now, upon finding out about this, I had to go to my, the older gentleman and say, you know, what you did hurt the guy. Uh, I don't know if this is really the best way to approach him. And I approached the older gentleman in love and said, you know, you might want to apologize to him and, and go to him and this might not, you know, this is the reason he's not coming back. Now, the older man, being mature in Christ, did exactly what I asked him to. And he responded to me positively, which is tough for most people to do. And, but if I had come to this man and said to him, you blockhead, what are you thinking? You can't treat him that way. He probably wouldn't have taken it as well. Well, actually, I take it back. This man was mature enough that he would have taken my words. He would have said thank you. He would have gone to this person, apologized, and then come back to me and said, you know, you didn't really approach me in the right way. <laughs> but to, the, to that point, it's okay for youth to correct the elders. Now, it shouldn't happen very often, and you should be certain of what you're doing before you go and do it. And elders, at the same time, you need to be able to accept that, which I'll get to later. But youth, when you approach a person older than you, you need to approach them respectfully. Remember that they have spent a lifetime above and beyond what you have spent. They need to be treated as such. They understand how things work in the world. They don't need to be chastised and rebuked. They need to become to, they need, you need to come to them lovingly. All right, the third point. Be your father's strength. Now in youth, the youth have strong backs, to put it literally. And as you get older, you start to lose some of that strength, which is okay. That's why the youth is here. We want to build you up. We want to lift you up. 
You know, it's small situations like perhaps somebody's moving and he, they need somebody to help come help. Young men, young women, you are responsible to get out there and help. Sometimes a lady set up nice social events. Young women, you need to be there to do the physical work for the older ladies if they need it, if they request it. You need to be there for them and be offering your services constantly. All right, now that's a simple one, the idea of a strong back. I don't need to go into that too much further. But the fourth portion, communicate. Man, this is in some ways the simplest thing to do, but in the other sense, it is the most difficult thing to do. Communication is not an easy road to travel. It's a two-way road. There's an active listener and an active speaker. Young people, you need to be out there asking advice of the older people. You shouldn't force the older generation to come up to you and say, hey, you know, you might want to do this. Uh, This might be something you should be interested in. You should be seeking them out. You should be mature enough in your mature enough in your person and also mature enough in your faith to be able to be humble yourself and go to the older generation and say, listen, I, I need your help. I don't know how to solve this particular problem. I don't know what I'm learning here in the scripture. What does this say to me? What is, this, what is the Lord trying to say to me here? You need to go out and ask them. Don't be, pass, don't be passive about this. Seek out their advice. Now, when you ask for advice, they're going to respond. You need to listen. Us younger group, we need to listen to the older generation, especially if you ask for their advice. And understand that at times, they're going to be critical. There's that evil word, critical. Nobody ever wants to hear criticism. I remember one of my favorite parts of debate. I was on the debate team in college. One of my favorite parts was the first day in, the freshmen would come in and we'd explain to them that we have practice times for debate. And when we have those practice times, afterwards we're going to criticize what you say. The freshmen would get all tensed up. Oh, I don't want to hear criticism. But you learn slowly through time that criticism, there's nothing more valuable than criticism. Criticism is the best thing you can possibly hear because it makes you better at what you do. It increases your knowledge. So don't be afraid to hear criticism. And for goodness sake, don't be offended. They're not, a, they're not trying to offend you. They're trying to help you. They're trying to make you a better person than what you already are. So don't be offended by people that come to criticize you. Even if they do it roughly. Even if they rebuke you, don't be offended. It's okay to go back to them like the, young, the older gentleman could have done to me if I had rebuked him. Go back to them and say, you know, I took your advice and you were right. But the manner in which you gave it to me may not work with other people. All right. The final portion of the communication is the word that everybody hates anymore. Obey. Ooh, nobody wants to obey. I know what I'm doing. I'm smart. We've got liberties in this country. I can do it my own way. No. The Lord states in Ephesians 6.1, Children, obey your parents, for this is right. Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. If I went to Proverbs to talk to you about obeying your parents, we'd be here all week. The Lord wants you to obey, especially us, the younger group. We need to obey our parents. There's a reason for this. They've had that life experience we've talked about. They're coming to us in a manner of love, encouraging us to do things right for a reason. Younger generation, hold your elders in the highest of esteem. I can't repeat this enough times. If you let your esteem for elders go, you're going to basically ruin your chances of becoming a better Christian as far as I can see. Because the elders have life experience they can impart to you. But if you don't hold them in high esteem, you won't listen. 
You won't obey. You won't take their advice. So you need to hold them up in esteem. 1 Timothy 5.19 says, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Now for us, this is a little more difficult to understand. For Timothy, this verse, this one verse was enough to understand exactly what Paul was talking about. And the reason for this is because the Romans didn't accept accusations lightly. If you were going to accuse a person of something, you had better be able to back it up with witnesses, with proof of some sort. It wasn't going to be simply enough that you got up there and said, they did this, they're a bad person, don't listen to them. No, you better be up there with proof, and people will beside you saying, it's true, we saw what happened. Claims against leadership, especially, were taken very heavily by the Romans. You know, Bush, Clinton, uh, Bush before him, Reagan, all of our presidents take a lot of attacks. People always against them attacking, attacking, attacking. So we take it as our culture is just, hey, it's just part of life. That's the normal way. That's the way we all work. That's not the way the Romans worked. And that's why Paul doesn't go deeply into this. Because he assumes Timothy understands, hey, listen, here's the culture. You understand what's going on. Don't take things lightly. We do take things lightly when we shouldn't. So I encourage the young people, hold your elders in the highest esteem. Now, in 1 Timothy 5.3, there's a verse that says, Honor widows who are really widows. Now, this kind of goes off track a little bit. This speaks specifically to a group of people. The widows are in a specific situation. As you, most of you know from being here from ch- in church, the widows aren't able to provide for themselves. They can't get jobs. They, some of them don't have sons or family to take care of them. Some of them don't, and obviously they don't have husbands to take care of them. So they have to go out and beg for, for food, for money, and whatnot. So Timothy is told by Paul, listen, you need to take in the actual widows, people that cannot care for themselves. So it's safe to, I believe it's safe to assume that we can define widows here as people that are unable to care for themselves. Now in that culture, they didn't have the financial resources that our culture does. Most people are able to take care of themselves to one degree or another financially. Now it does come up occasionally when the person needs to be taken care of financially, and in that situation the church should step in. But here, I want to talk about social context. As a younger generation, we need to be responsible for the older generation that may have family that's far removed. I know we have some people in church that have most of their relatives across the United States, in the eastern portion of the country or in the Midwest. And in situations like what we just had Thanksgiving come up, those people still need to feel love. They still need to feel that connection, that familial connection. Something that's unspoken, you can't quite put your finger on it, but it's important to you to be part of a group, especially in the holidays. So I'd encourage the young people, if you know of an older person that doesn't have family close by and needs being taken care of socially, extend a hand and say, hey, come join our family for Thanksgiving. Come join our family for Christmas. We'd love to have you over. So to summarize, do not rebuke your elders, but exhort them. Be your father's strength at all times. Be his strong backbone. Communicate. And what portions of the communicate? We have the ask, the listen, and the obey. Fourth, hold your elders in the highest of esteem. And fifth, take care of those unable to care for themselves. All right, youth, this is your job. Do not rebuke, but exhort. Be your father's strength. Communicate. Hold your elders in the highest of esteem and take care of those unable to take care of themselves. This is all pretty common sense stuff. 
But still, it needs to be said at times. All right, now to the older generation. How should the older generation communicate with these young whippersnappers? Titus 2, 1 through 5. But as for you, elder men he's talking to, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and patient. Patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Your first, and I think probably your most important role, be examples for us. Who else should we look to? Sure, the Bible has good teaching for these types of things. But quite often, the Bible is still a book. You still need to read and really digest. And the best way for us to learn this book and the the teachings in it is to look to you to teach us. We're ignorant in our youth, of course. How could we not be? We haven't had the time in life to be able to learn all these things. So we need you to show us the proper way to hold ourselves. Do not be afraid to correct us. There's times where we need correction. My mom, when I was younger, was always on me. Clean your room. Did you eat breakfast? Did you brush your teeth? Don't go out with those people. You're out too late at night. And of course, in the ignorance of my youth, I would give the, uh uh-huh, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah. Of course, my mother knew I wasn't listening that well, but she was always on me. Now, in my youth, I was thinking to myself, why is she always on me about these little things? I, I don't know why she keeps on bugging me. And it's because she understood that these were the big things. These were the things that matters. These were going to lead to who I became when I was a man, when I had a family, when I had kids. Of course, I couldn't understand that at the time. And I'm thankful that she was constantly on me because there were times when I would listen. And I wouldn't give the, oh, uh, yeah response that so many of us often give to our parents. But you need to correct. Paul gives Timothy correction for the young widows in the church at a certain point. Now listen to this. 1 Timothy 5, 11 through 16. But refuse the younger widows. And by refuse, he's saying, don't take care of them. For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, and give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them receive them. And do not let the church be burdened, that they may relieve those who are really widows. Now that is a brutal attack. Hey, listen up, Tim. Don't help out the younger ladies. Because what's going to happen is they're going to become busybodies. They're going to gossip. They're going to do all these bad things against the Lord and divide the church in in a sense. Now, remember, like I said before, Paul is talking directly to Timothy. And he's already encouraged Timothy, listen, don't approach them like this. I'm telling you what needs to happen. So he can talk to Timothy a little bit differently. But they wouldn't take this criticism well if they heard this, like spoken in the church, for instance. If Timothy came up and said, hey, 
I got a letter from Paul. Uh, he's talking to the younger widows, and uh, he thinks you've grown wanton against Christ, and that you're gossips, and that we're not going to give you help, help anymore financially, and that you need to get married and, you know, have babies. <laughs> All right, church is dismissed. Everybody can go home. Now, the ladies aren't going to take that well. And that wouldn't be accepted in that culture. It also won't be accepted in this culture. So when you give correction to us younger people, give it in all love, but give it to us honestly. And please do not let us find out secondhand. If the younger generation finds out the older generation is talking about them behind their backs, we're going to have a hard time holding our elders in the highest of esteem, which I think we all desire to do. So make sure that if you have a problem with something that we are doing, you come to us and tell us, listen, you know, I don't think you should come to the church with your hair in a mohawk. You know, I think, you know, you should come to church, you know, probably in pants and a shirt. You know, I think coming in jeans or coming in shorts and a, and a wife beater wasn't probably the best way to attend church. But don't let us find out round about the grapevine that you guys are talking behind their backs. Ask for help. Now, like I was saying, the tough part for us is to listen and obey. I think the tough part for some of the older generation is to ask for help. I mean, to humble yourself and say, you know, can't do it on my own anymore. I need you guys to help pick up the slack. Hey, you know what? In some situations, like the Thanksgiving dinner, the youth are happy to get in there, clean up the tables, put things away. Great. We're, we want to jump in and help out. But there's certain situations where uh, it's not quite our place to jump in and just help out. It's not my place to jump in with Dave Bennett and, you know, help Dave with his, uh, help Dave with his Sunday school. Not that Dave needs help. Dave can run circles around me. But my point is, it's not my place to just jump and do it. I need a person to come to me and say, hey, listen, I'd like your help in setting up Sunday school. I'd like your help, you know, with this verse. What do you think about this? You know, and that's an important point to get to is that asking advice is also asking for help. Sometimes the youth have points of view that perhaps you haven't considered yet. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's great. It's great that we can be there to help. That makes us Feels so good. Hey, man, they really value me. They value what I think, what I believe, what I've studied. They value that time that I've spent. On this note of asking for help, Arch, when are you going to have John and I help you with PowerPoint? Man, it's so simple. And Dad, typing with two fingers does not count as typing. And we do have Q and Z on the keyboard out of the office. I promise. Much as the widows and those that couldn't take care of themselves had their problems, this is also true on the flip side. I've had the extraordinary blessing that I can't even count of having parents that live 15 minutes from me, in the case of my in-laws, only 40 minutes from me. They're always there to help. They're always there by our side to act as mothers and fathers for, for me and my wife. But on top of that, they're spiritual leaders. They always give me advice. They're always helping out when I have questions. And I do have questions. And they're always there with not just advice, but spiritually founded advice. But that's not true for all the people in this church or all the people, all the youth that you know. Some people have lost parents to accidents. The parents aren't with us anymore. Some of the parents are removed geographically and not easily accessible by their kids. Or in some situations, the parents that the kids do have aren't Christians. Now, in all these situations, mothers and fathers of this church need to step in and say, Hey, 
You know, I can be a surrogate parent for when you need me. I don't have to take the place of your parent. I know I won't. But I'll be there for you, in the case again, during the holidays. If you don't have anywhere to go, please come to my house. Be my son. Be my daughter for the day. I'd, be, I'd love to have you over to my house and show you the love that the Lord showed to me. So, to the older generation, point one, lead by example. Please lead by example. Do not be afraid to correct us, the youth. We know we're not perfect. We're happy to accept the fact we're not perfect. But we need you to correct us at times because we can't see it quite often. Three, ask for help. Hey, the youth's here. I mean, look at the youth that we have in this church. I mean, it seems weekly we get a new group couple in here that's in their, you know, the 30s or 20s that are excited to learn about the Lord. Ask for their help. Get them involved. And finally, act as a mother and father for those that have none or those that can't access them easily. Okay, our next point, peer-to-peer. So we've dealt with the youth. We've dealt with the elders and their communication. Now we're going to deal with people dealing with each other, the peers-to-peer network. Now most of us deal pretty well with this. So I knew I didn't go too far, but I thought, well, let's look to the Bible for some good examples of peer-to-peer relationships. So we start off in Genesis. And of course we have Cain and Abel. That ain't going to work out so well. Okay, well, we'll move on. That's all right. It's not a big deal. Uh, who else do we have? Oh, Isaac and Ishmael. No, that'd be thousands of years of feuding. I don't think the Lord wants that. So we'll move on next to Jacob and Esau. Steal, deceive, give up everything you have for a bit of food. Probably not the right way to go. Joseph and his brothers. Sell your brother into slavery. Good. Good. And don't wear too many colors. Absalom and Amnon. Oh, we're back to murder again. But through searching, you do find two men that aren't actually brothers, but have the same relationship. And that would be David and Jonathan. We know that David and Jonathan were the closest of friends and referred to each other as brothers. So what was the one thing they were constantly seeking to do, actively seeking, pursuing constantly? They were always seeking to bring honor to one another's household. Even after Jonathan had died, David sought out his Jonathan's descendants and brought them up to glory. He said, just because of your father or grandfather, I'm going to glorify you just because of my relationship with him. They were always seeking to honor one another. Jonathan stood up for David at the temper of his father, had a spear thrown at him before, I believe, just because he stuck up for his friend David. They were always seeking to honor each other. We need to do the same. We need to honor each other. Now, this brings us back to 1 Timothy. And it comes back specifically to 1 Timothy 5.2, part B. Exhort younger sisters with all purity. Now, in the case of differing genders, you need to deal with each other in all purity. This is fairly simple. We've talked about this before. But be above reproof. Don't even give other people a chance to talk. Never be alone for an extended period of time with someone of the other gender who isn't your significant other. You need to be above reproof, not just doing the right thing. Hey, you may be doing the right thing with the other person while you're gone for an extended period of time, but other people don't know that. And we're back to the problem with rumors again. So don't let that happen. Be above reproof. Finally, oh, I'm sorry, not finally, hold each other accountable. Now, this goes really, I think, more to the youth than to the elders. Now, of course... The elders have to deal with this also. But especially the youth, I beg of us, when the elders come to us and say, listen, you need to work on this. Now, you may 
someone may come to me and say, Scott, you know, I don't like the way you're doing X, Y, Z. And it may make me angry and I can't believe they came up and questioned me. I'm not doing the wrong thing. Why are they always bothering me? And then I may go to John and, you know, start griping to John. Jeez, John, I can't believe this person came to me and said this and X, Y, Z. And John needs to hold me accountable and say, hey, you know, they're your elders. Maybe they're right. Maybe you should step back for a second and consider what they've just said to you. We need to do that for each other because sometimes we can't see our own faults. But if people keep coming to us and encouraging us, saying, hey, you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe we should look into this. Maybe we'll help you. We love you. We're here to help you and make sure that you have a chance to become the best Christian that you can be, be the best servant for the Lord. Hold each other accountable. Now, finally, the best part of this church is we don't allow cliques to form. Everybody knows what a clique is. It's a group of people that huddle together. Everybody stay out. This is our little group. Our church is pretty good about making sure we get a chance to go out and meet everybody. That's what I love about our youth. If we get a new person in here, we're all over those people. Hey, how you doing? What's your name? How you, where are you from? You know, you have good kids. What's your parents like? Where you, where you go to school? Yada, 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 yada. We want to know everything about them. We don't exclude the new people and say, hey, go form your own group. We've got ours. Now, to a certain extent, I am somewhat guilty of this. We hang out with John and Katie. My wife and I hang out with John and Katie a lot. And I should make an effort to go out and hang out with other people more. But, you know, I'm comfortable with John and Katie. And that's really where the problem comes in is you get comfortable why bother, you know, going out and meeting up? Yeah, that's uncomfortable. Especially people that are not in your age group. Now, that is really difficult. So we need to make sure that cliques aren't allowed to form, especially in the church. It can form even more division than it is, than is possible. <clears throat> so, where are good applications for this specific problem that we're looking at? Well, the first one I'd like to point to is my mama bear. My mom is great about getting out and meeting the younger ladies in the church. She knows, I think, all the younger ladies. And all the younger ladies know her for the most part. They seek her out for advice. And of all the women in this, well, there are many women in this church that are well-grounded in the word, but I know my mother the best out of all of them. She is able to take their questions and give them answers in a biblical format. Mom, stop crying. She's able to give them good advice that's spiritually grounded on top of it. She knows what's going on with the younger women, too. She's always seeking out the truth from the person. She's not a gossip. She doesn't go around saying, what happened to this person? What happened to this person? What happened? She goes to the person and says, are you doing okay? I heard that this happened. Is that true? Can I help? What can I do for you? You know, would you like me to come around and do X, Y, Z for you? She's excellent at that. And she really bridges that gap well. Now, the ultimate example. I wish she was here is Larry Thayer. Now, how many times, how, how many people in this church know who Larry Thayer is? Raise your hand if you know who Larry Thayer is. All right, so basically everybody knows Larry. Now, for all of Larry's faults socially, <laughs> his one thing that he does not fault in is he will get out there and meet everybody, and I don't care what I'm like, I'm going to get there and meet you. I'm going to get there and love you. I'm going to get out there and make sure I know everything about you. I miss seeing Larry every single day that I come to church. Because I came to Awana. Larry was there. I came to do worship service. Larry was there. I came to church. Larry's there. And every time Larry would see me, Larry would, you know, beeline right to Scott. Hey, Scott, how you doing? It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. 
You know, how your family doing? How your kids doing? How's your wife doing? You know, what's what happened with this? And he knew everything that was going on in my life. He couldn't help but know what was going on in my life. Larry is the ultimate example that, man, we all need to, we all need to mimic. Imagine that. Someone's up here saying, you need to be more like Larry. Larry was great. I miss Larry. Uh, Larry was an important part of this church. We need a new person that's like Larry. Somebody that, that diamond in the rough. That person that's rough around the edges, but is just a gem when it comes to his soul and who he is. So to conclude today, our church, I go back to the idea that we're in a unique position. We're missing those people in the 40s that really help bridge the gap between the youth and the elders of this church. But perhaps this is more of an opportunity than it is a problem. Maybe it's a great chance for the youth and the elders to not have a bridge. They'll just come together anyway to meld, to become, to become one solid group as opposed to something that's divided by age. There's no reason our church can. We're well grounded in the word. We all know the truth from Arch's teaching and Neil's teaching. I mean, what two great mentors we have here that have constantly fed us the word. We're willing to serve God. And if you want to serve God, get out there and get rid of that gap. We have wise elders. Youth, we have wise elders. I can't believe the wisdom that's found in this church. The graciousness that's found in this church and the elders. Elders, you have a large base of youth. What church wouldn't give what church wouldn't give anything to have a large group of youth that are well-founded in the Word, that have been taught well, that seek to learn more, and above all, seek to serve you, and by serving you, serve the Lord. You need to, we need to use our gifts. The elders need to use this gift of youth, and the youth need to use the gift of wise elders. So finally, Scott, Building relationships and finding new ones. How, how do we do this? Well, I would encourage everybody today. I know everybody out I know that I constantly see people in the church that I have seen for years. They aren't in my age group. I've seen them walk in and out of church every day. I don't know their names. I've never gone up and said hi. What could be more awkward? I can think of a thousand excuses not to go say hi to them. Uh, they got other people to talk to. Oh, I'm sure they want to go talk to their friends. Oh, geez, it's going to be awfully awkward. I don't want to do that. I don't want to make them feel awkward. Forget me. I don't want to make them feel awkward. But that's not acceptable. Remember, if you haven't gone up and said hi to them and you don't know their name, hey, the other way is true also. They haven't come up to you yet. They haven't come up to me. They haven't said hi to me. They don't know anything about me. They don't know my name. Well, I mean, now they know my name. But they don't know me yet. They haven't taken the time to meet me. So we have the same barrier. They are thrilled to meet you just as you are thrilled to meet them. So don't let, that be, don't let excuses get in the way of meeting new people in the church, especially people that are in a different age group. Now we have two places where you can really make this happen easily. First, the salt and pepper dinners. Now over the last couple of years, I have had a crazy roller coaster in my life, and I haven't been coming to salt and pepper dinners. But I'm going to do my best the next time they roll around. I'm going to do my best to make sure I get out there and meet some people at the church by going to salt and pepper dinners. I've heard good things about it. You get older group people together. You get the younger people together. You get people you haven't met. Everybody gets together, usually haven't met each other, and it's a good time to get together and meet those people that are, se- that are currently separated from you, friend-wise. 
And the last one, an invitation. It's something you can do today. Every single day, the young people run around. Hey, where are we going to lunch? I don't know. Where are we going? Where are we going to lunch? I don't know. Where are we going to lunch? I don't know. How about we go here? How about we go there? How about we go there? Da, 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 da. And we run around and we finally all figure out where we're going to lunch. I don't think there's any young couple that doesn't know we go to lunch every single day. So I'd like to invite some of the elders to come to lunch. Arch comes to lunch with us, which is great. My parents come. The Bennetts come. The Varellas come. The Culps occasionally come. And it's great. We get a chance to meet people that otherwise I probably wouldn't have taken the time to get out and know. So I'd encourage all the elders in the church, if you are able to come to church, you don't have commitments, you can financially afford it, of course. We go to the mall usually. Come up and ask the younger people. Because all of us know. We all know where we're going to church. So all you need to do is say, hey, where are we going? And if we don't know, we're going to know in about five minutes. So we'll come and find you and let you know. So today I started the sermon with the title, I Love You, Pop. My father and I see each other every day of the week. At the end of every day, regardless of what has transpired, we let the other know that they are loved, admired, respected, and needed. We honor each other and let each other know that there is no ill will, no grudge held, and that we look forward to seeing each other again, whether here on earth or in our glorified bodies. Three simple words we end the day with that I cherish to say every day. I hear I love you, son. I love you, Paul. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time we've had together, Father. I thank you for this congregation and what it means to me, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would constantly encourage us every day to grow in your word. I thank you for the chance I've had today, this week, to really learn your word, Lord. I know that this message has blessed me more than it's blessed the people in the congregation. I pray, Lord, that you would just encourage the congregation to constantly seek your word out every day. Lord, let us seek each other out, Father. Let us be a, a church of brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, looking for advice, sharing love, giving honor to the other. Lord, I thank you for the blessing of this church and the people in it. In Jesus' name, amen.